Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Java junkies, welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what it's like to work in financial consulting and, and also to get some tips to help you manage your own finances, then this is the episode for you because my next guest is a financial management consultant with more than 30 years of experience in corporate America and he's the author of Foreman's Financial Facts, a blueprint of the eight key points to becoming successful in handling your own finances. But before I introduce you to Joel Foreman, the proud father of four children who actually inspired him to start his own business in the first place, I want to make sure you're signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that features career advice and job-seeking tips, as well as unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are actually working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my financially obsessed Frappuccino lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Joel Foreman, the president of ClearCut Consulting with more than 30 years of financial experience working in corporate America, where he managed budgets as large as $1 billion. Over the last 30 years, Joel has worked at Prudential Financial, Barclay Card, the Sigfield Group, among many other companies. Now as president of ClearCut Consulting, Joel partners with companies to create more viable solutions to help them grow and boost their customer base and satisfaction rating. Joel's mission is to educate others, especially children and young adults, to manage their personal finances and boost their self-confidence. He's the co-host of a weekly clubhouse conversation on a whole variety of different topics, including, of course, building strong financial habits. Finally, Joel is a proud supporter of four charities, Fisher House Foundation, National Alliance on Mental Illness, the Foundation for Alcoholism Research, and Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and he donates 1% of sales from Foreman's Financial Facts to each of these charities. Joel, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? 
Yes, I am. How could I not be with a Time for Coffee podcast? You have to be, right? So I you have my coffee have right to. here. Excellent. <laughs> but thank you. What a Excellent. great introduction. Thank you so much for all of the things that you said. And you did a really great recap of what I do day to day, what makes me tick and what I'm trying to do to make a difference and educate people and give back from my own personal knowledge and experiences. Wonderful. Well, let me get back to the coffee for a second. What do you drink in the Foreman household? Well, it, it really depends. Some of us like a little bit stronger coffee. So that's usually one of the Starbucks roasted, maybe a dark roast. I kind of like a medium blend. So I'm okay with like a Folgers or a Maxwell House only because I don't like something super strong. <laughs> no, say it isn't so. You're drinking Folgers. Oh my yeah. God, Joel, I'm going to have to drive up to New Jersey and grind <laughs> you some fresh beans from some of the amazing coffee, small batch roasteries that I go to because okay. they will rock your world. Well, I'm sure my wife and my daughter and son who are here quite a bit will be happy about that as well. Yeah, it's more for probably me, just the caffeine. I'm not a morning person. So I'm good now, but first thing in the morning, I really use that to wake myself up. So it's more, I do enjoy it and I don't, I like the smell of it, but I'm more worried about what it's kind of getting me boosted for the day. So, but yes, I've been told that I have to expand my palate when it comes to coffee choices. So <laughs> yes, feel free to drive up and bring whatever you want. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Well, I want you to know, I have been so excited about having the opportunity to interview you, Joel, because this is a huge blind spot for most of us, and, and I mean most of us, but also for college students and for young professionals, how to manage their money, how to develop financial literacy, and what that looks like. And before we dig into that, I thought maybe you could share your backstory behind the why, why you created Foreman's Financial Facts, a blueprint for the eight key points to becoming successful in handling your own finances. Why did you do this? Well, for years and years and years, I've been helping family members, friends, our kids, their friends, just you know, managing their money, giving them up pointers, teaching basic financial tips. Well, consulting is one of those things that when the economy is good and business is booming, you're very, very busy. So I've been busy for a long time. I've had a few ups and downs with the financial meltdown, 2008, 2009. Well, last year, as we all know, the pandemic, which was unprecedented, I had all these things lined up early in the year to do all of last year. And all of a sudden, they just all went away. Corporations just kind of shut down. So I did some things here and there. I did some one-off things, but I didn't have the usual 40, 50-hour commitment to my clients every day, every week, every month. So I had a little more time on my hands. So my youngest son, who coincidentally, the last few years, I've been slowly giving him pieces of what's ultimately in Foreman's Financial Facts to help him. He was 19. He's 21 now. So I taught him about budgeting. I taught him about how to save money, pay himself first, taught him about investments. He has his own E-Trade account. And, you know, knock on wood, we did real well with that in the last year, year plus. So he's very excited. Talked about retirement. Talked about the importance of his credit score and have helped him build that since then, talked about life insurance and about the future. So he said to me, he said, Dad, we would be screwed without you. 
my sister, my brothers, my friends, a lot of our family members. No one teaches us about financial topics. No one teaches this in school. And you have to do something about this, Dad. He said, you know it, you're passionate about it, you're helping everyone for free anyway. He said, this is something that you can do and you can possibly teach in high schools or colleges. And you know it, you're passionate about it, you make it easy. You make it easy for everyone to understand. His now ex-girlfriend came to me, she had student loans last year, three different loans, three different interest rates, three different payments, all different times from the same bank. She was freaked out and her dad was unable to help her because he just not good in finance. He's good at what he does. And that's fine. So she says, can you help me? She came over. She was like shaking. She was scared. Within 10 minutes, I looked at everything she had and I said, listen, I said, this is what you're going to do. I said, first of all, calm down. This is not that big a deal. The interest rates are way down. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to call this bank. You're going to say, hey, I want one payment. I want the interest rates cut at least in half. And if you don't do that, my boyfriend's dad is going to help me go to another bank and I'm taking my loans elsewhere. So she immediately calmed down. She was very relaxed, more like she normally is, bubbly, happy, whatever. The next day, she made the call and one loan, half the interest, and the bank didn't want to lose her business. And they've been really good to her ever since. So what I started to do is like, okay, let me research this a little bit. I have a feeling that this is a problem based on everyone that I know and all the people that I'm helping and I'm hearing the buzz for this. So I started to look into it. There's all kinds of financial literacy things out there. So I said, you know what? I can create something myself from scratch, just out of my head, but I want to make it easy to follow, easy to digest, and then easy to implement the habits and the things I'm telling you to do. I have the time. I have the capacity. I wrote this. And then I got it trademarked and copyrighted. And then I launched it at the end of December. And I was super, super excited about it. And I picked eight topics that I really feel like if you understand these and you go through my program, you are going to come out and you're going to say, holy cow, I always thought managing my money was so hard, so sophisticated, so complicated. And this is really very simple. Love it. And as you said, no one teaches us how to manage our finances in school. We don't learn the ABCs of financial literacy. So before we get into those eight steps, what are the biggest mistakes, Joel, that college students make with respect to their finances? Well, one of the biggest things that I hear and see is that if you ask them how much money they have or how much money they spend in a given month, they won't be able to tell you. They may have an idea, okay, I spend about this much. And then the next question I would ask, well, how much do you make versus how much you spend? Do you have a positive cash flow? Do you have a negative cash flow? And most of the time, they don't know. And that's okay because nobody taught them. But it is a problem if you're standing on your own two feet, if you're still living at home and mom and dad are nice enough to still be paying a lot of the bills, you can get away with that. But as soon as you go to step out on your own and you have to pay your own rent, your own cell phone bill, your own car insurance, your own car payment, your own groceries, utilities, et cetera, you're going to really need to know how much money you have coming in versus how much money you have going out. And the only real way to do that is to track it somehow. And my suggestion is the personal budget because then you will know item by item how much is coming in versus how much is going out. And then if you know that and you have a positive cash flow, then you can implement some of the things I'm talking about. You can invest, you can save, you can do things for your future. But you have to start by knowing where you stand. So how do you build a personal budget? 
it's really quite simple. And I actually, the first section in my blueprint is personal budget. And I actually walk you through step-by-step how to build a budget with some normal categories, what your fixed expenses would be like if you have rent, if you have a car payment, you have a college loan, and then your variable expenses like groceries and entertainment. So you build all those things. And what I also suggest, which I don't put in there, but I've been talking about this since then and everybody likes it. Let's say you have 20 bills that you have to pay every month. Okay. You start with number three and go to three to 22. What are the first two ones? You want to pay yourself first. You want to have a savings bucket and you want to have an investment bucket. Everybody hates to pay bills, myself included. It's not any fun. But how I make it more fun for me and better for everyone else is if you're working really hard for your money and you feel like all your money is going to everyone else, that just stinks for everyone. But if the first two bills, you're paying you, you're funding your savings buckets that you want to fund and you're putting money in investments for the future, that feels a heck of a lot better, especially if you use the 24% of your net pay that I suggest to put in those buckets. So all you have to do, you, you don't need anything sophisticated. I teach it in Excel. There's a lot of apps you can use. And the reason I suggest at the beginning, don't use an app. Because if you write it in Excel or even on a piece of paper, then you really understand all the components. It reinforces it. And you can do the calculations in Excel. It'll do them for you. Just sum up the numbers. So all you have to do is just sit down and think about, okay, this is how much I make. These are all the expenses that come out. What's left? What you do is that next month, you start off paying yourself savings and budget. And then we can talk about if you want some of the savings buckets that I suggest, and then some of the investment things that I suggest. But you have to think about this now, because it takes a long time to build financial wealth and financial strength. And that's not even talking about retirement, because that's another piece of it. So that's what I would suggest personal budget. And it's not that hard. (laughs) There's so much in what you just said that, oh my gosh, if I'd only had that, information when I was starting my career because, and I see it and I've seen it among the young people that I've worked with over the years, they're not thinking 401k because they're thinking, gosh, I'm only earning a very limited amount of money. I've got bills to pay. I've got my college loans to pay. I want to have a little fun money. And they don't think about planning for the future. How can you help someone who, let's say, is earning $40,000 right out of college, they've got loans to pay, they've got all the fixed expenses that you just listed out there. How can they still find money to put into a 401k? And maybe we should even explain what a 401k is, and especially to find out if there's that employer match. A lot of times kids at this age or young adults don't even know where to start. So when you're talking, you talked about a couple of different things. So first of all, you want to try to live within your means. So in order to know if you're living within your means, you have to make sure that you have a way of tracking. You can look at your bank balance and see it go up and down. But what you really need to do is you need to look at what your net income coming in, whatever your paycheck is or whatever income you have, put that on the top line. They list all your other expenses below it. And I suggest you do this in like an Excel spreadsheet because it'll sum up all the numbers and see what the net is. What you can do is your fixed expenses, there's not really too much that you can do there unless you renegotiate like a loan, like a student loan or something and push it out further, which you can do. And that might make sense if you can't manage your money and meet all your expenses and pay yourself first with savings and investments and doing the 401k with what you're currently making, you might have to do that. But my suggestion is before you do that, look at all those variable expenses. And I'll give you three numbers, okay? 55% should go towards all your bills. 
21% of your net income should go for things that you want to do like entertainment, and then 24% for savings. Now, the two most important numbers there are the 24% saving and investment piece and the 55%. The 21, that's your fudge factor is what I'd like to call it. Because if you need to draw money, okay, you never want to take it away from yourself if you can absolutely help it. So you would take it from the once and put that if the 55% doesn't cover your fixed expenses, what you need to live, take it from there. Don't take it from the 24%. Because the time value of money and time just in general when it comes to building wealth is absolutely on your side. And as far as the 401k, so let's get into that for a second. A lot of employers offer a 401k. And basically what will happen with that is that's that's tax deferred money. It, it comes, it's off the top. So it's from your gross pay, they will match a certain percent. So let's just say it's 3% that they're matching. You want to put in at least 3%. So then you're actually getting six. This is free money that they're giving you. And this money will continue to invest, continue to hopefully grow over time. And you absolutely have to be doing that. That's another way of paying yourself first. And I would suggest that you put in as much as you can afford. But the only way you'll know how much you can afford is if you have a budget or something to compare it to. So if you can do 8% or 10% as soon as possible, that's where your money will really, really grow over time. And if you can do it now while you're early in life where you're not making that much money, it only gets easier as you make more. And you can always increase or decrease that percentage. Just don't ever go below what the free match is. Mm, fantastic advice. So I got to tell you, I am surprised, Joel, that we've gotten this far in the interview without you mentioning credit card debt, because I know for sure many of our listeners have credit cards and have probably been thinking about that as free money. And when I asked you earlier about what's one of the biggest mistakes that college students make with respect to their finances, I kind of expected you to say it was racking up credit card debt. Well, yeah, there's a lot of schools of thought on credit card debt. So let me start with the positive aspects of that first. And I'll use my son as an example. So he got his first credit card at 19. He's now 21. So what I told him is credit cards can actually work for you and can be your friend and can help build your credit if they are used responsibly. And what I mean by responsibly is you pay it every month on time, every time. Because when what you say pay it, do you mean... The full balance. The full amount, not yeah. the minimum payment. No, 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 no. Okay, yeah. we just I, need I, to clarify that. Oh, I, I was going to get to that. Don't worry. Yeah, so what, what happens is you become a more creditworthy person if you're paying bills on time, okay? And credit cards is a great way to build your credit because you're getting gas for your car, you're getting groceries, you're doing certain things anyway. There's all these rewards on your card. You can get cash rewards, you can get gift certificates, you can get gift cards for movies or restaurants or whatever. So not only are you building your credit if you're using it the way I suggest, you're also getting other perks for using that. And it's building your credit over time, which makes it easier for you. The higher your credit score is, the lower you pay on interest for loans, whether it's a car loan, a student loan, a mortgage, personal loan, any kind of loan. So it's really, really important. And you're also only paying what you originally agreed to pay for whatever that purchase is. So if you bought a bookshelf for your library, okay, and you spent $300, if you pay it off as soon as the bill comes, you've only paid the $300. Now, 
Now, where credit cards can get people in trouble and can hurt your credit and can really cost you money and where you can really get behind the eight ball is if you're only paying the minimum. We don't have enough time for me to get into all the calculations of that. But basically, for that $300 that you're paying for that bookshelf, you could end up paying $400 or $500 or $600 just for that. And then if you continue to add to that credit card, all that interest, and they charge ridiculous interest, ridiculous interest. And you don't ever want to pay that. You don't want to do that. Now, sometimes you have to. Some people need to do that. But what I would suggest that you do, if you can get yourself under control with your spending now, there are what they call balance transfers. And I talk about this in some of my videos. You can do a balance transfer from one card to the other for 0% interest for six months, nine months, 18 months, 22 months. Now, the only way I would suggest doing that is once you get your budget down and you know you can afford to make whatever that payment is, make sure you can pay it off in that 18 months or 24 months or 12 months when you transfer it. There is a fee. It's usually 3 to 5% or whatever the principal is. But then you're only paying that one-time fee of a couple hundred dollars. You've got yourself on a budget now. You know you can afford to make that payment and you'll have it paid off in 24 months. So that's one of the ways I would suggest that you handle something like that. The credit card companies make it easy for you. They do make that percentage fee up front, but more importantly, you get yourself out of that debt on some type of a horizon, 12 months, 18 months, and then your credit starts to improve once you get that done. Because not only did you get more credit from someone else, but now you're paying both off. So when you get both of them paid down to zero, you're going to be full. First of all, you'll pay the one credit card off in full. So that'll look good for you. And then you have this other one at 0% interest. So all you have to do is make the payment. So it's just like paying the $300 over 12 months would be 25 bucks a month. It wouldn't be any interest. It would, you would still pay whatever it is you were paying. So it's really important to understand all of those things. And that's a little bit more complicated, but I understand why people have credit card debt, but you'd be much better off getting a personal loan from a credit union or somewhere else. If you can't do the balance transfer, that's fine. Get yourself a low interest personal loan from a credit union, a bank, wherever, and pay it off that way. Because then you have one loan. Let's say you have four credit cards outstanding. If you get all those paid off and you have one loan, that already helps your credit. And then you're limiting how much interest you're paying on all those purchases. So, Joel, just very briefly, could you give us broad brush strokes what our listeners will find in Foreman's Financial Facts, your eight-step plan? I will absolutely share that with you. So we start off with the personal budget. I teach you how to build it. I teach you how to manage your checkbook. And this is all done in Excel and with all references and I reference what column has what in it and how it ties out and how everything flits and I use color. So it's very easy to follow. And I reinforce that with a couple of exhibits. So then in that budget and in those exhibits, it shows you to put money away for savings and investments. So then when we go into the savings and investment buckets, and I'm suggesting paying yourself first and cash is king and building up an emergency fund. Who doesn't need an emergency fund? Or maybe you didn't think of it before. Well, after the pandemic happened, I'm sure everybody thought about it. If you had it, you were in good shape. If you didn't have it, you know that in the future, things can happen at any time and you need to be ready. And the more you had saved and invest at that point, the stronger you were to survive this storm that we're still not quite out of. So then investments. Well, what do you do with the investments? You know, there's 401k, which is part of retirement, but it's also part of your investments. So there's stocks, there's cryptocurrencies, there's bonds, there's CDs. I go into what some of those vehicles are. And when I talk about the stock market, I talk about the different sectors because you want to spread your risk with your investments also. So then I talk about retirement planning and I talk about the 401ks and I talk about individual retirement accounts that you can fund yourself and then also manage where those investments go. I also talk about building your credit. I talk about the credit scores. 
what they mean and how they will impact you. I talk about primary loan types. Now, this is really important. When you're a homeowner, in addition to the mortgage, you might have an equity loan or an equity line of credit. I explain what those two things are and the differences between them and how you use the equity in your home. And the equity in your home is basically what your home is worth, less what you owe. So let's give an example just to reinforce that real quick. So let's say your home is worth $200,000, you owe 100,000. So your equity in the home is 100,000 and you can take an equity line of credit or an equity loan based on that. So I go into stuff like that. Life insurance. Everybody's probably thinking, oh my gosh, Joel, I'm young. Who cares about life insurance? Well, it's not for you. It is for your loved ones. And let me give you some advice. While it's important to start saving for money and investing money while you're young, it's also important to get that life insurance in place while you're young and hopefully, presumably, you're most healthy that you will be. As you get older, it becomes more difficult because health factors come in and that affects your premium. And if you get term life insurance in particular, that's very, very cheap and you can get big face value amounts. And the reason why you want to think about this is, let's say you and your significant other start off and during the first couple of years, you buy a house. God forbid something happens to one of you and you lose that other person's income. It's bad enough that they're going to be dealing with the loss and the emotional tragedy of everything they're going through. You don't want to compound that with the financial fear of losing their home. So I won't get into that more now, but that's why you want to think about it now. So I'm sorry, are you saying that if you have life insurance, that could be used to help you if your partner loses their job? Well, there are life insurance policies that have cash values. That is something that you can use. What I'm suggesting in this case is if, God forbid, they die and you don't want to lose your lifestyle, and especially let's say you have a child or two at the time, you want to have some insulation financially in addition to the investments and savings you already have so that the lifestyle does not go along with the person. I see. Of course. But yes, there are financial vehicles, insurance vehicles that you can put in money and then you can borrow from yourself. I don't go into too much of that in this, but I've talked about it on Clubhouse and I have talked about it in some of my videos. We, of course, have a link to Foreman's Financial Facts in show notes for this episode. So I think you're definitely going to want to check it out because, gosh, I'm thinking I'm going to check it out, Joel, because I am terrible when it comes to this stuff. But let us flash back really quickly. We've been talking a lot about college. Let's flash back to when you were in college. You went to Rutgers University in the beautiful state of New Jersey. You majored in accounting and business. Just very quickly, did you know what you were going to do with that degree when you graduated, Joel? I did and I didn't. And let me explain that. I show where I got my four-year degree, but what happened was I actually went to a two-year community college at first because I always struggled in school. I'm always an overachiever. I'm always motivated in every aspect of my life, but for some reason, school, I always struggled. And part of it was because I studied a lot of things, which I'm sure our listeners can appreciate that I didn't care about. So it made it hard for me to focus when I already wasn't a good student, but I did well in the community college. And then I was able to transfer all of my credits to Rutgers. But Just like I am now as an entrepreneur and ambitious and wanting to have my own business and stand on my own two feet and do things different than just being in a traditional career. I left after my junior year of college at Rutgers for four years to pursue my own business. And after three failed attempts at three different businesses, and mainly because I didn't have enough money, there was twice where I was asked if I could match the offer of the other person interested 
but I was 20, 21 years old. So yeah, I had tens of thousands of dollars, but I didn't have hundreds of thousands. And I couldn't, one was a car rental company and I would have had to secure six and a half million dollars of car credit lines. Who can do that at 2021 unless you come from a wealthy family? But anyway, I would not trade that experience for anything. One of the best four years of my life, because what it did at that time, and I'll fast forward it to today, is it made me realize my ex-wife, now ex-wife, but my fiance at the time, neither one of us had our four years of college. And I was like, you know what? I can come back and revisit this entrepreneurial thing, but I need to put us in a strong position for us and for our family and for our kids in the future. I'm going to go back to school, but I'm not just going to go back to school. I'm going to go back to school with a vengeance. So I signed up. I want to only give up one more year of my life for education at that time. 49 credits in 12 months. I went the fall. I went the winter. I went the spring and I went the summer and I finished my accounting degree. And at that point, all I knew was I wanted to do something in finance. And that's when I ended up at that Prudential. I spent the first 10 years of my career. It laid a great foundation, but I never lost the entrepreneurial spirit that has stayed with me ever since. But it was the best decision I made at that time in my life. And it's served me well ever since. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that you listened to your gut and left school and said, I have this entrepreneurial bug that is like driving me and I want to go see where that takes me. And then you said, "Eh, you know what? This was great, but I want to get the university degree on my resume. And you went back and you just powered through 49 credits in a year. Amazing hustle. You said your first job was at Prudential. How did you get it, Joel? Oh, this is a great story. And everybody will laugh about this now. And this is one of the things when I was reading through the things that we might discuss, I actually wrote this down because it made me smile to think about it. So this is not how anybody would probably find a job today. But back then, the star ledger, which was a Newark Star Ledger, which is where Prudential was in Newark, New Jersey, was a huge paper. And they had a huge job classified section. After I graduated, I looked in the classified section. I saw Prudential had a attempt to hire opportunity in one of their finance groups. I called and I wrote on the address PO box that they gave me. And that's how I got the interview. And that's how I got that job. A newspaper. Can you imagine a newspaper? I got the job from a newspaper and I was able to call a number and talk to someone and also follow up with the PO box with my cover letter and everything as why I thought I was good for it, why I wanted it. (laughs) Not just the newspaper piece, but the temp to hire. In fact, I posted on LinkedIn about the value of exploring temp agencies as a way to get your foot in the door and try out different types of jobs. And I know people for a fact who recently worked at temp agencies and ended up getting hired there and found it as a great way to launch their career. So what a great story. So I just have two final T for C questions for you, Joel. And I ask all of my guests these questions. The first one is, if you could share a time in your professional life when you struggled, you've alluded to this. And the most important point here is how you persevered and if there was a lesson that you learned in the process. Yeah, I'll make this as brief as I can. I was always thinking about becoming a financial management consultant, meaning that I would go from client to client. 
So when I was at Prudential, I worked with a lot of outside consultants. So I was an internal business partner supporting all my business partners, but then I worked with these outside consulting firms. And it always seemed like fun because it was always a project. It was always different. It was always high level. But what I also liked about it is you can go on to the next thing. You're not going to get bored. Sometimes at companies, I would sometimes get bored. So at Prudential, I moved around to four different positions, sometimes for a promotion, sometimes just a lateral move because I got bored. I wanted to do something else. So long story short, we had moved to Delaware from New Jersey many, many years ago. And I got a job with a prestigious company. And I had the boss from hell. And I was working a million hours. And I was working on Saturdays. And I, my kids were really little. So I would go to work before they got up. I would come back after they went to sleep or they would wait up for me and run down the hall to the garage and garage door and hug me. And I'd read them a story and then they'd have to go to sleep. So I tried to work things out with this person. But the job really wasn't for me and her personality. We just didn't click. And I found out from talking to other people that I wasn't the only one. She had had a lot of turnover in her group. So it wasn't just me. So that made me feel a little better. But what it didn't make me feel good about is what it was doing to my career trajectory there and also my personal life as well, which were both really important because my wife at that time was a stay-at-home mom. So I couldn't just leave. I started doing research, figured out a company. And you mentioned one of them, the Zigri Group. I ended up going there from this company. That's how I got my consulting career started. And that's where I went from client to client, having all these other different interesting experiences, meeting all these different interesting people. And my point of all this is sometimes you're going to take jobs, and especially at the beginning. And even when you're more mature in your career like I was, you've always got to look at how you can transfer your skills, what your transferable skills are and what your soft skills are. Soft skills, and I know you talk about this a lot, are very, very important. And I won't get into that now. But one of my strong soft skills is I'm able to communicate and get along with pretty much everyone. So this was really a struggle for me that I couldn't come to common ground with this person. But rather than invest my time with that, I invested my time on getting myself in a better place and trying something that I always wanted to do. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. Final question, Joel. If you could go back to Rutgers and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Well, first of all, I would do a double major. Because I always loved business, but since then, I've always loved education and client relationship management. I've taught over 100 professionals, basic Excel and pivot table classes. I've taught them all kinds of new processes and controls over the years. So what I would do is because I'm in the education space now is I've always loved to teach. So I would have put myself in a position to maybe not have accounting, but maybe more of a business administration or marketing type degree and then have that education piece. So where can our listeners find you, Joel? They can find me pretty much everywhere, but Foreman's Financial Facts, my website, okay, Foreman'sFinancialFacts.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. And honestly, if you just look me up in Google now, I'm all over the place because of all of my videos. But I would say if you want to really get to know the bulk of what I'm doing between my website and LinkedIn, because on LinkedIn, I do a financial word of the day, Monday through Friday, and I do a financial video. Monday through Friday. So one in the morning, one in the afternoon. By the way, Joel's last name Foreman is spelled without an E. F-O-R-M-A-N. Joel, of course, is J-O-E-L. We'll have links to all of this in show notes. Joel, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today, not Folgers or Maxwell. No, 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 my friends. We are talking small batch roastery coffee, but nevertheless, it was coffee. With me and the T for C community, this was just wonderful. 
Thank you. And you taught me some things about coffee. So that's good. And I'm happy to do this. I love this. I mean, you and I have communicated a lot on different platforms for a while. You've been on our clubhouse call. I mean, I love what you're doing. As you said, you wish somebody taught you financial stuff at the beginning. I wish I had you in my corner when I was trying to figure out between entrepreneurial, business, teaching, whatever, when back then, I didn't know. And I didn't have guidance for that. I just knew I had a passion. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to provide well for my family. And I wanted to try to be passionate and happy about what I was doing. And while I love the consulting, the financial education stuff, and when I'm talking to colleges and I'm talking to kids and I see the light bulbs go on, this is way better than anything I've ever done in my life. And I've been preparing for it my whole life by being in financial roles my entire life. So I didn't know I would end up here. Who knew my kid would say, hey, you got to help everybody. You can do this. And here we are. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.